All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of Wing Chun nonsense from Instagram. Lots of gems, lots of Shaolin triads, and lots of yipsifu. Thanks for not appointing a successor, because that worked out really great. Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. Watch out. Yo, Mikey, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Seagong. How you doing? Good, good. So here we are. We're going to do a special topic episode today. Ooh. I recently put out something to my Instagram followers, said, hey, ask me any questions specifically about Hong Kong Yip Man Wing Chun. So basically the Hong Kong era Yip Man Wing Chun, like specifically that, uh, because oftentimes when we ask for questions in general, um, we get, you know, such a wide variety of questions. Uh, in the Ask Me Anything episodes, it's cool to answer all these different things, but uh, I actually like having kind of a topic per episode. I find it's a little bit more cohesive, and I would like to do more of those, like when we did the castle stories, or when we did like the ninja episode, that if you haven't watched, you need to watch. Yes. Uh, staying, you know, staying topical to, you know, one or, or two topics. So um, this will probably be a slightly shorter episode, but we're going, we got a few good questions about, Hong Kong Yip Man Wing Chun, so we're gonna see what my ideas are about that. And we are on like a spree right now, so just for people mm -hmm. who are watching this, we have no idea when this is finally gonna come out because we are on a episode recording spree. We even recorded another episode earlier today. And uh, because we're going to Hong Kong and I have my ITC next week, so we're kind of getting into a busy time, so we'll be recording a bunch of episodes. So the thing is, right now we can't say like, uh, when this is coming out, you know, <laughs> this could be a July episode. It could be a August episode. I have no idea. So um, anyway, uh, before we get started, the best way to support the Kung Fu Genius is on Patreon, mm -hmm. patreon.com slash the Kung Fu Genius. For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to episodes early, uh, as well as other goodies like my Instagram subscriber reels. So you don't have to subscribe to me on Instagram and on Patreon. I, I give it to the Patreons uh, um, right off the bat and higher levels of support. You get all sorts of goodies, including uh, a private KFG episode with me. So anyway, the best way to support us is on Patreon. So go ahead. That link is below. And there are other links down there like t Kung Fu Genius t-shirts. And, well, uh, hopefully the Hong Kong trip link is not there anymore because by now it's definitely too late. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, so we got some questions. Yeah. Uh, so let's get started. Before we start, though, so you're saying I didn't have to change my top? No, no. We, uh, we, we're not doing that anymore where we pretend like we're doing these every week it's just we're just gonna let them know well, we're just, well we're gonna if, spree if any so I will yep no that's um, a thunderstorm behind us oh no kidding I heard yeah. that I was like it sounded like I just heard something else and I'm like what is that is that just background it's like no it's a thunderstorm going it's on thunderstorm it's like going on really good right mics now. picking up all that stuff fantastic um, well uh, any eagle eyed viewers will notice that I'm wearing the same shirt that I wore uh, during the Steve Carriage interview because <laughs> we recorded that earlier this morning um, but you were worried about uh, the same shirt because you did the opener and cl uh, you did the opener of the episode but I don't think anyone is going to notice. Okay, that's a fair point. Didn't yes. really think that one through. Because you're not really in the episode the way you are now. You no, just do the fair. opener. And uh, you're mostly just a disembodied voice for that. But it is actually good because your, your choice before this was to go Burt Kreischer style and be bare-chested. So I was like, <laughs> no, no, no. No, uh, no British sweaters on this episode. Oh, we are it's going to happen one day, don't <laughs> worry. When you least expect yeah. it. Make, making uh, Austin Powers look like an Olympic uh, swimmer. <laughs> All right, so, uh, so what you got? Oh, okay, let's get into it. All right, so um, Red Warrior of Peace. Uh-huh. Should I put the app? Put the ad. These are all Instagram handles. Yeah, Instagram yes. handles, right? So um, handles, handles. Yeah, absolutely. You know. So maybe you want to follow some of these guys. Who knows? Um, at, Red, at Red Warrior of Peace, who were the first Yip Man students to open schools in Hong Kong, and did they have his blessing? That's a really good question. Uh, so I don't know exactly who like the first ones were, and for sure there may have been. Some other students of the late grandmaster who had opened schools, but maybe they weren't as successful or, or didn't make such a splash, so we don't really talk about them that much. Uh, for sure, I believe Liang Sang, the first student of Yip Man, uh, was definitely one of the earliest. He at least was teaching by 1960, 
because that was when 13-year-old uh, Leung Teng started learning from Leung Song. So Leung Song, at the very least, was teaching in 1960. I would assume because Leung Teng had many si hangs that Leung Song had actually already established a school a number of years earlier. So he most likely started teaching in the 50s, which I would assume makes him one of the first of Yip Man's students to teach. Uh, Wong Sun Leung, I believe, of course, it's better to ask someone like Sifu David Peterson, he would know much better than I would. Uh, but I believe Wong Sun Leung also opened his school around 1960, shortly after his loss uh, in uh, Taiwan in, in that tournament. And I think he basically retired from fighting and then started teaching uh, after that, that fight. Um, so I would assume, we're, yeah, we're really looking at Leung Sung and Wong Sun Leung kind of as the earliest guys who are teaching in Hong Kong under Yip Man. But I believe other ones were as well. It's just they may not have been as successful or their schools might not have been as high profile. Leung Sung definitely had his own location. Wong Sun Leung also had his own location. But there may have been other students of Yip Man who were assisting Yip Man at his various uh, uh, schools. Uh, because one thing I think people don't realize is that Yip Man really didn't have a brick and mortar school the way we have here at City Wing Chun. Uh, he would basically teach at a location for a short time or maybe a year, maybe two years, and then would kind of pick up shop and go somewhere else. And none of these places, until they got the uh, Wing Chun Athletic Association, until they formed it in 1966, there really was no brick and mortar Wing Chun school for Yip Man, all right? So, so we're really looking at from 1950 to about 1966, 1967, which Yip Man was mostly retired by that point anyway. He, he never really had a brick and mortar location that, you know, like the Yip Man Wing Chun School with a signboard where you could go in there. He had places that he taught, uh, whether that was at the restaurant union or uh, the Lei Cheng Ok uh, estate. Um, but when you actually look at the history of Yip Man Wing Chun's development in Hong Kong. You actually see that there was a time period, even in the 50s, where he had like three or four different locations where he was teaching at, uh, mostly on the Kowloon side, but he even did have one or two locations on the Hong Kong Island side. And by locations, we mean like at a restaurant union office or uh, in the back of another business. So, so, the, so even Yip Man's own schools were not really the kind of the brick and mortar school that we all think about, right? So I think perhaps Leung Seung and even Wong Seung may have actually had brick and mortar schools even before Yip Man himself did mm -hmm. uh, there by the early 60s. Now, I don't think anyone in Hong Kong, because the, the other part of the question was, did they have his um, blessing? Right. So I don't think, given the very traditional nature of most Kung Fu students at that time in the 50s and 60s, I don't think any of his students would have dared to teach in Hong Kong without his permission. Uh, I may be wrong if anyone knows of an incident of one of Yip Man's students, a lesser known or otherwise, who opened a school that Yip Man was not cool about. Uh, please let me know in the comments. I, I don't know anything about that. The only person I would imagine that actually taught Wing Chun without Yip Man's blessing was Bruce Lee. So if we're quite honest there, uh, you know, who is the student of Yip Man who opened a school without Yip Man's blessing? It's actually Bruce Lee. And uh, there are a couple reasons for that. One, Bruce Lee was not really a qualified Wing Chun instructor by the time he left Hong Kong. That's not to say anything about his skills or how good he was or what, how he later developed himself. Just purely in terms of Wing Chun, he really didn't learn enough to, to put, it, put it to you this way. If instead of moving to the States in 1959, had Bruce Lee decided to break away from his Wing Chun teachers and open a Wing Chun school in 1959, he would have gotten laughed at because he did not know enough Wing Chun to really open a school or to compete with e e either of his Seahanks. So that's one thing. Bruce was not technically qualified to be an instructor, which meant that he certainly did not have Yip Man's blessing. But the other big thing is he went to the States and he was teaching non-Chinese. And Yip Man being very traditional, uh, Yip Man was not only about that don't teach non-Chinese life. Yip Man was also about don't teach the wrong Chinese Okay, so uh, yes, there are stories. Uh, Wong Sun Leung taught maybe Rolf Klaus Schnitzer in the 60s, who's obviously not Chinese. And there are students of Yip Man students, like, like that were not Chinese even in Hong Kong. There's some anecdotal stories and some random stories about this during the life of Yip Man. 
But um, I think that Yip Man was able to kind of maybe brush it off as like, well, this is the new generation. He probably understood that it was inevitable that Westerners would start learning this stuff. Just he himself didn't want to be the one to teach it. Right. That's always the impression that I got. Yeah. Uh, because even when Bruce Lee visited Hong Kong in 1963, he came with his student, Doug Palmer. And in Doug Palmer's book, he writes about how they went to Yip Man's house and Bruce did a private lesson with uh, uh, Yip Man in Chisau. And it was understood, and Bruce made it very clear to Doug, uh, you are not my student, you are just my friend from the US who came to Hong Kong with me, and you're just sitting here, happen to be watching. So Doug had to act like someone who is absolutely not interested in any of that stuff. So Yip Man also let a Westerner, Doug Palmer, watch him do Chisa with Bruce Lee. Yeah. All right? So uh, it, it, there, there's always a little bit of back and forth in terms of like how salty was Bruce Lee or how salty was Yip Man about Bruce Lee being in the States and teaching and stuff like that. It kind of goes a little bit back and forth. Um, I think it became a little more acrimonious later when Bruce Lee coined the term Jeet Kune Do. I think that's when there started to be some issue between the two of them. I think until then, uh, I think the old man was actually quite fond of his young star student, right? Mm. So, uh, so I don't think anyone in Hong Kong would have opened a school without Yip Man's blessing. Ji Wan uh, um, also had a school. I, I, I would assume he was already teaching by the 60s because he passed away in the mid-70s. So um, those are the main ones. For sure, there were other ones. Um, but I don't think anyone in Hong Kong did it without his blessing. I don't, right. think, I don't think that would have happened back then. Mm -hmm. so, but a great question, really great question. If anyone knows any anything else about that topic, I would love to read about it. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, what nice. else we got? Hey, Kung Fu Genius fans. If you like what we do here, please consider supporting us on Patreon. For as little as five bucks a month, you'll get early access to episodes and other goodies not posted on the Kung Fu Genius channel. With higher levels of support, you can get your name in the description, a live chat with me, or at the baller level, you even get your own personal KFG episode with me as my guest. The link to our Patreon page is in the description of this episode below. Patreons have a direct link to chat with me and get first dibs on any questions for Ask Me Anything episodes. Click on the link in the description for our Patreon page for more information, and I'll see you on Patreon. All right, okay, so um, at jtribal413, j oh. underscore tribal. Now, yeah, that's our boy, that's our boy Jimmy. Yeah, I was going to uh -huh. say, I was going to say this person. That's a Sifu level instructor under the City Wing Chun Athletic uh, Association. Yeah, he seems like a, 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 a man of ill repute to me. But, uh, <laughs> a man yeah. of ill repute with an excellent reputation. Yes, it's absolutely 100%. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so um, triads and Wing Chun, also taping knives to their hands to make sure they don't drop them. Got it. I love how these are not really questions. These are just like, hey, KFG, talk about this. Go. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, here's some, here's some, it reminds me of, uh, you ever see the old Saturday Night Lives with uh, Mike, Mike Myers where he did coffee talk with yeah, Linda oh, Richmond? Yes, absolutely. You know, he would get a little frick and then he would come up with some random talk, discuss amongst yourselves while he's like getting over being like, like crying, right? Uh, triads, knives being taped up to the hands, discuss, go. Um, yes. All right. So triads and Wing Chun. All right. This is a, the perennial topic of, uh, of Hong Kong era Wing Chun, of course, this even comes up in uh, Bruce Lee uh, death conspiracy theories. Uh, recently, somebody, you know, somebody went, you know, was like, oh, well, Bruce Lee was training like he was training. Somebody commented some total bullshit. Uh, Bruce Lee was training invisibly to protect himself from the uh, triads. And I go, first of all, what, what is training invisibly? Yeah. What, does that, what does that even mean? Okay, yeah. explain that, right? People say stuff and it's like, you know, it's like you, you kind of have a feeling he half heard that whoever wrote this, because, of course, he didn't write it under his own name. It was, yeah. you know, Knucklestick69 on, on <laughs> YouTube or whatever the hell his name was. Right. And, you know, uh, with these kind of comments, it's always like they half heard it from someone else and they half kind of filled in the other bullshit details on their own. Right. Bruce was training invisibly to protect himself from the triads and stuff like that. First of all, what does that even mean? All right. Second of all, like, yeah, Bruce was trained. Bruce is. Bruce was training like a maniac 
not because he wanted to be in good shape and be an awesome martial artist for the movies he was making, mm -hmm. but because he was constantly being attacked by triads. You would think, look, if Bruce was constantly being attacked by triads in that two-year period where he was making films, he probably would have made some other arrangements, like get some security, you know, get this, get that, or whatever. The idea is like, no, he's going to physically train like a maniac, not for his movies, not for having a good physique and being a movie star, but because he's constantly fighting, what, armed gangsters, so he's training his punch to defeat guns and knives. I just have this image of him, like, kind of John Wick style, or probably but a more kind of slapstick comedian, just, like, walking along, like, just, you know, some happy music behind him, and then just suddenly a triad just jumps out, like, ha-ha! Right, right, so he's straight like, out of, like, Pink Panther shit. Yeah, <laughs> totally, 100%, he, he, he gets his inner Kato out, Yes, exactly. just, like, exactly. kind of, like, round kicks, me. like, oh, okay. Another one pops out, then he goes into his coffee, finishes that, walks out, punches someone in the face. Yeah, yeah. So is that a daily occurrence? Right. You know what I mean? No, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> and and often these like kind of Bruce Lee's Cuba triads always comes from people who have like no understanding of Hong Kong triads, little relationship to uh, Hong Kong culture, Cantonese culture, uh, and and so I wrote like, oh, that's really great. Uh, um, you know, like. Where, where are your sources on this information? And then, of course, it's always, you know, chirping crickets after that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, you know, people, when you write something in YouTube, like, Bruce Lee did this, whatever, like, it's all fine to say that stuff. But when someone says, okay, so what's your source on that information? If you get salty when someone asks you who your source is, then you have to tell yourself, are you getting salty because you know you're making it up and now someone is just, because it's a simple question, right? Like, Bruce Lee was training invisibly to protect himself from triads. Great, uh, who's your source on that information? Yeah, well, everyone knows that. Mm. That, 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 that. That's not how you, that, that, that's not a legitimate argument. Mm. To be fair, I quite didn't fallacious. know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? Um, so anyway, yeah, Bruce was training his punches and kicks and his physicality so much so that he could, uh, kick knives out of triads hands or something like that right okay so i mean like it's like okay, okay buddy like if that's really the story you want to go for fine all right um but uh, obviously the interplay between triads and um martial arts schools was uh, was a big thing and i think what what people don't realize is that the the reputation of chinese kung fu in hong kong um until about the late 60s was actually pretty low uh, of course, people who practiced martial arts knew in Hong Kong knew otherwise, and people who had some connections to what martial arts are really about, they knew it wasn't like this. But the general perception among the, let's say, the, the, the normies of Hong Kong in the 60s or the 50s was that most Chinese Kung Fu schools uh, were usually related to triads, to organized crime, to Hong Kong, to gangsterdom, to thuggery, right? And uh, that was just kind of that was taken as axiomatic, as true. And uh, part of that has to do with the fact that the, the, the obvious parallels between triad history, so when you read the history of, the triads originally were an anti-Ching, they were anti-Ching rebellious groups, right? They were re they're in the South, they're rebelling against this you know, awful Qing government, uh, all these awful Manchus who are so brutally oppressive, especially in the South where it was just, they were too far away from, from, from Beijing really for, the, for them to do much. So most of the rebels and the rioting and the, the, the counter, the, you know, the revolutionary stuff was in the South because they were just so physically far away from the capital. And they started as anti-government uh, groups. And then, you know, once the Qing government was overthrown, these societies, and they're called triad societies because it's a heaven, man, and earth. These are the three things that they're trying to harmonize, right. all right? It's, um, and the term triad actually came, I believe, from a, uh, from a European academic who was studying these societies and said, because they all believe in this kind of trinity, that's where they came up with the idea of triads, right? It's a samhapui, uh, uh, which is like the three harmonies groups or whatever, but you, often they're just called haksewui, which means the black societies or the, the, the black groups or whatever, right? Uh, so but kind of once the Qing dynasty was overthrown, I mean, what are these groups going to do? They were already semi-criminal to begin with. And these anti-Qing groups then just essentially became organized crime families after the fall of the Qing, right? And then all of the triads in Hong Kong 
are kind of like Kung Fu styles where they claim a lineage to the founder of their triad style. And they have like their, their triad lineages the way we have our Kung Fu lineages. Yeah. And triads in Hong Kong, whether we're talking about 14K or Walsing Wall, whatever, they all trace their lineage somehow, or I shouldn't say all, many of them trace their lineage to, drum roll, the Shaolin Temple. Okay, <laughs> and so when wow. you read, for example, like Gustav Schlegel's book, uh, which came out in the 1800s, Gustav Schlegel was a uh, a Dutch um, academic. He was an expert in Chinese history, language. He went to China, and they basically gave him. They had arrested a bunch of triads. This is during during the Qing Dynasty. They had yeah. arrested a bunch of these anti-government guys. And they had all of their texts, which included their rituals. And because the, 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 the triads, the Chinese triads are a little bit like uh, Freemasons. They have yeah. like their initiation rituals and they have like all these things that they do and all this kind of stuff. And they have their history. Yeah. And he basically was given, I assume from the police or the authorities, all of these texts that they had confiscated from the triads. And right. he translated it. Oh, wow. And if you have a chance, the, the book is obviously, um, it, it, there's no more copyright on it because it yeah. came out in the 1800s. But if you just Google like uh, Gustav Schlegel, Hung League, uh, H-U-N-G, League. Like Hung League sounds, sounds like a porn. Um, <laughs> and it's like the Justice League. <laughs> and, and so... Uh, uh, if you if you can get it as a PDF on Google for free, right. and basically it's a translation of the original triad texts and wow. rituals and stuff and how it was broken down. Now there's a lot of bullshit in there, N not from Schlegel. He's just translating it. The history of the triads as they wrote it is total bullshit, and so <laughs> they they because they claim uh, a line to the Shaolin Temple through five elders, just like many of the Kung Fu styles, mm -hmm. and uh, all of these rituals, and basically, you know, the, tri the, the Qing government had burned down the Shaolin Temple, so it was almost like, they burned down our temple, it was almost like a false flag operation to get everyone, like, riled up about fighting against the Qings, yep. and uh, what you realize is that is really the first time we hear about the Shaolin Temple and five elders, and the Kung Fu histories that claim five elders are plagiarizing the triad story. And the triad story is fake. Yeah. So that's why when people talk about the five elders or Qi Sim or Feng Dou Tak or Yim Wing Chun or whatever their names are, these stories about there being five elders that escaped the burning Shaolin temple mm -hmm. is a plagiarized story. And it is plagiarized from fiction. <laughs> okay, so so like when people even want to talk about like the, the, the Hong Kun or the Wing Chun coming from one of these elders or whatever, it's like you guess he stop, stop. Okay, it's it's a fake story, copying a fake story. Right. All right. So we are levels deep in here. All right. Mm -hmm. So uh, so we are kind of inextricably linked to triads in that both most mainstream. Kung Fu styles, or I should say many mainstream Kung Fu styles, and the triads themselves all claim lineage to the Shaolin Temple, but for different reasons, all right? Uh, interestingly enough, when you look at the, uh, the Gustav Schlegel's text, there's, there's really not much in there about martial arts, meaning that this idea of the Shaolin Temple really being a repository for martial arts masters and instruction, um, although you can find it in other texts, it wasn't the central theme of the triad's use of the Shaolin Temple. Right. They literally just use it as a symbol of freedom from this oppressive society, and then they burned the temple, which was this symbol. Okay? So it is like a kind of wag the dog, false flag kind of story. Yeah. But, they don't, but the triads really don't make any mention to martial arts in Shaolin. Yeah. They just mentioned the Shaolin Temple. Right. So already this is another reason why we have to be very skeptical about all of these kind of stories. Because yes. when you have dis discrepant accounts of similar events, and these events are always described through stories. Because history is not like that. When you, when you say history, you have dates, yep. you have facts. On this date, so-and-so burned this, and this guy and this guy escaped, and they met with this and this guy. Whenever you read 
any version of the Shaolin Temple story, whether it's from the triads, whether it's from Kung Fu people, they're always told as stories, right. which is a huge red flag that this is not actual history. Because history is not told in kind of story gospel format if it's historically accurate. Right. History is recorded very differently. Yes. So that's why we have to be very skeptical about that. But the question was not about that per se. So in the 50s and 60s, many Kung Fu schools did have some connection to triads and organized crime. And that lent to the somewhat bad reputation of Chinese Kung Fu in general. It wasn't until the late 60s where Chinese Kung Fu started to become more acceptable, not just through films, but through some changes in the Hong Kong government, legitimizing Chinese Kung Fu schools by for basically forcing all of them. In 1966, I think it was in 66, uh, Hong Kong government changed law that all Kung Fu schools had to register. Basically, because most of them were not official businesses. You know, yeah. Yip Man did not have an LLC or an S-Corp. He was just taking <laughs> cash and putting it in his pocket. Uh, they, they were not real businesses. But after 66, the Hong Kong government forced them all to, right. uh, to register because they wanted, they slowly, they, their late 60s was a slow movement towards rooting out corruption in, in Hong Kong. Yeah. It really culminated in 1974 with the formation of the ICAC, but you can already start to see some trends towards anti-corruption already in the late 60s. And this is why I think a lot of gangsters who are, had police connections already started to retire from the police force in the late 60s, even before the ICAC. Yeah. So uh, there are certain schools of Kung Fu that are more notorious for being connected with triads. Wing Chun, per se, didn't have a huge triad connection. Yip Man wasn't really a triad. Uh, and when I say really, I'm not, I'm not trying to be cheeky like he kind of was. I'm saying like th there's no evidence to suggest that he was one. But that didn't mean that he didn't teach people who may have had those connections. And certainly his student, Ji Wan, uh, right. um, may have had those connections. Right. Um, so, uh, but it's a very difficult to say. Obviously, Tang Sang, who's a, a bit of an obsession of mine, was a corrupt police officer who worked intimately with the triads. I'd like to say, I think he more of an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, yeah, that's a better yes. way of putting it. Uh, the other thing uh, that was mentioned in, in Jimmy's question was about the taping of the, the hands to the knives or the wrapping of the hands uh, uh, to, uh, to the blades. And this is a story uh, told to me by uh, Sifu Lengteng, and he told me that he had heard this directly from Grandmaster Yip Man. In uh, 1972, a magazine called Modo, which was a lesser known uh, Kung Fu magazine in Hong Kong at the time. New Martial Hero was kind of the big one. Modo was just kind of a, you know, it's kind of, like in the 80s, we had Black Belt and Inside Kung Fu, but then there was also these smaller magazines like Kick mm -hmm. or Karate Illustrated. They weren't, they, they didn't quite make it to the level of Inside yeah. Kung Fu or Black Belt. So Modo is kind of like the Kick or the Karate Illustrated of Hong Kong, right? <laughs> and uh, Leung Ting did a cover uh, article uh, about the Batam Do. Yeah. And uh, he had gotten some extra information from Grandmaster Yip Man about the Bacham that was specifically for this article to make sure that he had some good facts in there and so on. And uh, Leung Ting told me when he was discussing this with, with uh, the late Grandmaster, the late Grandmaster was very adamant. He says, look, we, in the knives, in the knife form and the knife technique, we do not flip the knives. Yeah. If you flip the knives, well, it's already a short knife with limit on range. In Chinese Kung Fu, you're often fighting people with a spear or broadsword or pole, weapons that are much longer than yours. So if you're yeah. fighting someone with a much longer weapon, why would you then flip it to your forearms and basically take away all the length of that weapon? Yeah. Uh, also, the other obvious problem with flipping the knives is dropping it. Mm -hmm. All right? I mean, you, you know, even... Even though the knife form I teach doesn't have any knife flipping in it. Yeah, I mean, when I grab the knives, I'll flip them around. It's part of just learning how to move with the weapon in your hand. Yeah. That doesn't mean I use that in, in the actual technique. But we all kind of know it and do it. And even if you're pretty good at it, like it can flip the knives and do some cool stuff, there's always a little bit of a risk that you're going to drop the thing and, you know, lose your weapon. Yeah. So uh, Yip Man was very... Uh, adamant, at least according to Sifu Lengteng, he said, look, I do not flip the knives. Wing Chun does not flip the knives. Anyone who flips the knives, mm -hmm. you need to be skeptical about why they're doing it. Right. All right. Because they didn't learn this from me is basically what he's saying. Yeah. And then Yip Man told the young Lengteng that uh, even triads, when they would go onto the street to have like a big 
you know, melee with knives, you know, one, one gang on one side, one gang on the other, and they're all going to charge each other with mm-hmm. cleavers and weapons. And whether they had actual Wing Chun style knives or cleavers or hatchets or whatever, they would often take like a bandana and wrap that thing to their hands right. so that they would lessen the chance of losing it. So think about it. People who are actually going to go in and hack each other up are so worried about losing their knives, they'll literally wrap them to their hands. So then why on earth would you ever flip it and then cause that risk for yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying, yeah, for coordination, that's fine. Most people are not fighting with these blades on the street. So if you do knife flipping in your knife form, I'm not trying to shit on that or anything like that. Do whatever you want. Look, I also practice the bacham though. I would I, I have to admit, I am not getting into fights on a regular basis that require me to use Ching, Ching era weaponry to defend myself, right? Because it's part you don't of the art. in the UK. It's because I don't live in the UK. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, like, you know, it, it is something that, you know, we practice really for fun. So, I mean, to tell someone that their hobby is wrong because of hypothetical uses that are not going to happen is, is kind of a silly thing anyway. But if we do want to talk about it more honestly, yeah, flipping the knives is probably not the best thing to do when you're trying to not get murdered. Right. Cool. So, what else we got? Hey everyone, just want to let you know Wing Chun Illustrated is now offering a paperback edition through Amazon reaching a larger global market. And no, they're not ditching the glossy magazine edition through MagCloud. You can now simply choose the version of this magazine you prefer and the one with the cheapest shipping wherever you live. Order your copy of Wing Chun Illustrated today across 12 Amazon marketplaces with free shipping for Prime members. Go and check that out. All right, so um, um, two people kind of Asked a similar kind question, of question, right. so I'm going to give Com- them both shout outs. Combine you know it I mean? into one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at Kung Fu Curbs and at J. Krugs. I'm guessing it's probably Cruz with a, you know, that's how you would pronounce it. I don't know. Maybe not, but either way. I don't know. I, I hardly ever trust your pronunciation of things. Like, alu- <sighs> like aluminium, like, fa- like phantom eyes you're adding into a word that doesn't have it. It's like ridiculous. Aluminium. Where'd that extra eye come from? Right, right. here. Yeah. You, go, you should yeah, open it up. Third eye. Yeah, third eye, yeah. right? Squeegee yeah, yeah. it. There yeah, because you, know. you, you guys are you guys are known for your openness and your your open third eye. That's what the Brits are really known for. Being real, you know, one with the world. I'm gonna uh, real sensitive to what's going on out there, right? Well, there was a time when everyone was one with us in the world. Yeah, yeah, but that was by oh, force, yeah, sir. With the with the, with right. the exception of twenty two countries. Yes. You know, and yeah. just out of hundred and ninety three. Yeah. Um, anyway, we digress a uh, tangent and, um, uh-huh. yeah, it's all right. yeah. <laughs> Wing Chun lineages other than Ip Man in Hong Kong before him. Um, that was, so uh, that was from Kung Fu Curbs. Jay Krugs. Were there other Wing Chun lineages besides what stemmed from Yip Man there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was surprised we got that question twice, uh, but it's a good question. Um, so from what I understand, there were two styles that were already established in Hong Kong before Yip Man came. Uh, one of them was uh, the Siu Lam Wang Chun, but Siu Lam Wang Chun is not exactly Wang Chun the way we do it. Now, of course, there's a lot of back and forth in terms of like, because obviously the name is very similar, you know, Wang Chun and Wang Chun, right? So the Wing is a slightly different character. One is Wing, which is like eternal. The other one is Wing, which is to praise. And so obviously they're very similar and it's made even more uh, obnoxious in that in Mandarin, the wing character, which is pronounced yong, is pronounced exactly the same, even the same tone. So, so it's, it's really confusing for Mandarin speakers, and yeah. it's just slightly less confusing for Cantonese speakers, where there is a slight tonal difference between those two characters. Obviously, um, it's just like evolution. Uh, it's not that one species suddenly turns into another one, right? There's there are these transitions slowly, right? Right. And so when you look at Siulam Wang Chun, uh, at least from the way I look at it, it looks like a much more older orthodox form of Southern Shaolin or Fukienese martial arts. The white crane uh, influence is much more obvious in Siulam Wang Chun. It's a much older, more traditional style. Yeah. And Yip Man Wing Chun, what we do is kind of refined and changed into something else. I'm not saying about better or worse, but... Um, 
you can maybe say that Seoul and Wing Chun are like our cousins, although right. I'm sure that would bother them because they probably more feel like they're our grandfather because they're <laughs> older. Um, but I, I believe that this is, if you look at it on an evolutionary chart, yeah, it's like we had a common ancestor and then at some point we split mm -hmm. and then we developed in this direction, they developed in here. So uh, even though they may be closer to the older one, but that divergence kind of makes it, in my opinion, more like they're kind of our cousins, our right. more traditional cousins. They have a wooden dummy set, they have some knife sets, pole, and uh, but most of their fist fighting forms are, are different from uh, what we do, but they do have a form of chi sao, often I, I believe they call it kyu sao bridge hands. So definitely, to, to say that the two styles are unrelated, I think would be a, a, a little silly, but uh, uh, th there's definitely a relationship there. But they were in Hong Kong before we were, uh, uh, primarily through uh, the efforts of uh, the late Grandmaster Chu Chong Man. Right. Um, and then his students and Tang, the whole Tang family and all that, that there as well. Um, so he was there, and uh, we even copied the wooden dummy from them. Because uh, in, in the old days, the wooden dummy just went into the ground. So it was like in the floor. And uh, that you can only do if you have a yard or a courtyard or like an actual floor where you could put it through. Yeah. That's why I like to say, and I mentioned this in my uh, wooden dummy book, available at the online pro shop, uh, that uh, in the first Yip Man movie, Donnie Yen's dummy is in the ground in his house because he li lives in a proper house. He can put that thing in the ground. So it has no frame that it's hanging on. And I said, that might be the only accurate part of Yip Man 1, all right? <laughs> the fact that Yip Man's dummy at home would have been uh, what they call a ground dummy or a Seijong, a dead dummy. Yeah. So uh, the problem was when Yip Man came to Hong Kong and now he's teaching, let's say, on the second floor of some building or on the 11th floor of some building. Well, you can't just put a wooden dummy into the floor of a building on a multi-story you know, uh, building, right? Right. So they had to figure out a way to suspend the dummy. Uh, and so this idea of the putting the wooden dummy on slats, which, were, which is the most common form of wooden dummy frame there is, was actually something from the 1950s. It, this is not something from the Qing dynasty. Yeah. They used to just go literally into the ground. Uh, and the Siwulam Wang Chun people, who had already been established in Hong Kong for a number of years, already figured out that suspended slat frame dummy. And the story was that Yip Man sent some of his boys over, like Lok Yu, perhaps, or some other people, to... Uh, take a look and kind of cop the design so that they could finally hang a wooden dummy up. So, so we, we do owe the, the, the fact that we have a wooden dummy suspended on uh, those slat frames. Uh, we totally copied that from the Siulam Wang Chun people. Uh, and then the other side, I believe that there was a Yun Kei San student in Hong Kong. I, I think it was actually Sam, Sam Lung himself. Uh, could have been one of his students, but um, I, I don't think that he was really teaching. Because uh, it's one thing to say, like, these guys were there. It's another thing to say, like, but how serious were they actually about teaching? Were they yeah. pumping out a lot of students? Were they just teaching one or two people? I understand traditionally most Kung Fu styles only taught one or two people at a time, but that's also not a very strong showing when you compare it to Yip Man, who came and then taught it basically en masse. So, uh, yeah, from what I know, there was some, some, some Yun Kei-san Wang Chun and uh, the Siulam, our Siulam Wang Chun cousins. Mm -hmm. So, great question. Absolutely. Uh, all right, what else cool. we got? Um, so, before we carry on, so you're telling me mm -hmm. that the uh, scene where Yip Man fights ten men mm -hmm. isn't accurate. No, it was nine. Yeah, okay. Totally wow. fake. Totally fake. Yeah, I changed everything. He fought, he fought nine black belts. Ten is outrageous. Yes. Ten? One too many. Are you kidding me? How dare he? I mean, who can't fight off ten black belts in an open area where they wouldn't just swarm on top of you? Uh, I mean, nine is acceptable, but ten. I mean, you know, this is a bit of an exaggeration. It does. That, that, however, the whole slat frame dummy thing, it, there's one... That's one point that bugs me about one of my favorite films, The Prodigal Son. Yeah. Is in The Prodigal Son, there's a very short scene where Yun Biu playing the, the, the late Dr. Leung Jan is hitting a wooden dummy. And he's hitting a wooden dummy outside, and the wooden dummy he's using is on a slat frame. And so Leung Jan would have learned in the mid-1800s, and that type of dummy, from what I understand, didn't exist. Right. There's only one photo of a wooden dummy from that time, and even Sifu Leung Ting thinks it might be a forgery, but even that dummy was just in the ground. Right. So even representations of dummies at that time were all just plunked into the ground. Okay. So, yeah. Cool. What else, what else you got? All right. So, um, 
Another guy of ill repute. Another guy of ill repute? I would say that his reputation isn't quite an excellent. But yeah, I'll give him something. Nah, I'm kidding. All right. Love you, Topher. Ah, Topher. Yes, Topher. At its Topher. A toper. Toper. Apparently, I have, I'm having real trouble. British, Engli- British English, ladies and gentlemen. In right. my defense, I've been painting, and I think the fumes are really giving me a very, very strange... Uh, yeah, you're loopier than normal. Yeah, I'm feeling very loopy. Yeah, I'm yeah. just keeping it About together. 10% loopier than normal. Yeah, so, you know, 60% <laughs> Yes. Um, anyway, at it's Topher 9000 you should follow him. He has some good Wing Chun content. Um, in your estimation... What are the top three pivotal moments for Hong Kong Wind Chung? Oof. Oof. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a tough question. Uh, because, uh, well, I mean, I, I, have, I can come up with something. So I, need, so I didn't really look at the questions too much because I wanted to have answers that were more or less spontaneous. I didn't want to come yes. here like, with my prepared statement to make me sound like much better than I actually am. Uh, of course, very easy. Uh, if you pick just three, I'm sure any, anyone with any skin in the game on this topic could easily come up with three other ones or could dispute mine as being the three. Um, let's see, three pivotal moments for Yip Man Wing Chun in Hong Kong. Okay, I would say... Okay, now it's... I'm picking from a list of many, there were many things that happened and many interesting characters who showed up and kind of changed the face of Wing Chun. But if I had to narrow it to three, I would say one probably Lee Man convincing Yip Man that he should teach Wing Chun because without that, none of this would have happened. And I'll, I'll explain these in, in, in a moment. Uh, mm-hmm. Second one, I have to say getting Bruce Lee as a student because just think of the tremendous exposure Wing Chun has had solely because of Bruce Lee. Yeah. And the third one, oof, it's tough because there's so many. Uh, and I'm also trying not to link anything to any specific lineages. Yeah. Although obviously I just mentioned Bruce Lee, but, but, <laughs> but I mean him as a, as a, a, a figure. I don't mean yes. particularly what he did in Wing Chun or with Wing Chun, just yeah. in terms of his bringing eyes to Wing Chun. Uh, the so I don't want to say like well you know Lang Ting because Lang Ting was the one who like did this or that Wong Sin Lang because because any anyone anyone who's from any decent lineage uh, could easily it, it's so easy to look at your own lineage and say hey look at all my lineages contributions to Wing Chun if you don't yeah. even if you don't mention my lineage in the group of contributions in terms of pivotal moments of Wing Chun, then you're, you're just being ignorant. But the problem is that pretty much anyone can make a claim. Yeah. I mean, you follow the Leung Song lineage, Leung Song being the first student, maybe one of the first schools, him teaching all sorts of prominent people, including Leung Ting or whatever, easily make a claim that Leung Song was a very pivotal uh, person or character in the Wing Chun family. But you could say the same thing about Lok Yi. You could say, definitely say the same thing about Wong Sun Leung. You could say the same thing about Ho Ka Ming Moyat, all these guys. So, so the problem is that like, I, I think I have to leave specific characters out of this, right? So I'm going to say the third one, I was going to say the establishment of the Wing Chun Athletic Association. But to be honest, and this is not to throw any shade on the Wing Chun Athletic Association, they had to form the Wing Chun Athletic Association because of Hong Kong law. They were forced to yeah. establish it as a company, and then they got their school and stuff like that. But yeah, to be fair, the Wing Chun Athletic Association hasn't really done anything of note yeah. uh, for a governing body that supposedly is there to protect uh, the name and to promote Yip Man Wing Chun around the world. I mean, I think the individual students of Yip Man who have gone out to promote Wing Chun have done a far better job individually than the Wing Chun Athletic Association has done collectively. It's a, it's a, with the exception of going to the Wing Chun Athletic Association, seeing the place, which by the way, I'll take you there, you'll see it. Yeah. And being like, oh, this was the last place Yip Man taught wow. and you know, this is where students teach. It's like, there's a nostalgic effect about it, but, but mm-hmm. the, the Wing Chun Athletic Association, pardon me, they haven't done shit. All right, they haven't done shit. <laughs> uh, and they've caused, they've caused easily as as many problems as, as they've, they've solved solved so i'll say maybe the third pivotal moment was yip man passing away without clarifying what was to happen to his style yeah. after his death right so the uh the first pivotal moment i suppose is you know when 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 yip man first came to hong kong it wasn't his design to to teach wing chun he he fled china okay with basically the shirt on his back and that's all he had 
and uh, he just wanted to get out of China as a member of a Kuomintang party. He was kind of blacklisted in China. He needed to get out. Hong Kong was a safe haven being a British colony. He first escaped through Macau, which was a Portuguese colony, and then he made his way into Hong Kong. So I think he kind of came there as a, in his late 50s, having grown up wealthy his entire life, now for the first time in his life, penniless. Yeah. Without any real marketable skills, you know, uh, what is a scholar kung fu master who had a cushy job at the police going to do in post-war Hong Kong uh, at his age? It's very difficult to get a job. Yeah. So from what I've heard, I don't know if this is 100% true, he actually started doing menial labor right. at his age. Wow. Uh, and one of the stories that I heard was that he was at the very famous temple called Wong Dai Xin. Wong Dai Xin, that temple still exists today. As a matter of fact, I don't know if we'll have time, but if we do, I'll definitely take you there. Yep. And the story was that he was just sweeping. So doing really menial labor as someone in his, in his late 50s. And Li Man, who was a friend of his from Fatsan, who also escaped Fatsan and came to Hong Kong, apparently saw Yip Man or found out Yip Man was doing this kind of menial labor and said, hey, Yip Sivu, why, why are you doing this? You should start teaching Wing Chun. In fact, Li Man was the president of the restaurant union uh, for restaurant workers. And yeah. he said, you know, we have an office. We basically have a space for the restaurant union where we're a meeting place. You could start teaching Wing Chun there. And so I always, in my mind, although it's, for sure, it's not accurate. But in my mind, I just see Yip Man with a, with a, uh, a broom in his hand going, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, like not being overly excited about it, but also yeah. being like, well, it's better than this. And so uh, that's how we started teaching. So from what I understand, from my understanding, which, can be, again, it's so difficult to say with any kind of authority anything about the history that was going on because so much of this was not written down where it's this is hearsay upon hearsay it's just very difficult to verify anything yes but um at least that narrative that lee man uh convinced yip man to start teaching wing chun is accepted among a fair number of higher ups in the wing chun world and i would have to say that's one of the most pivotal moments because without lee man's suggestion there would be no wing chun there would be no bruce lee there would be no establishment of this martial art as we know it. I mean, maybe Yip Man would eventually start teaching later, but with a lot less steam and a lot less press, right? Yes. So that, that definitely has to be included as a pivotal moment. Uh, the second one, like I said, was Bruce Lee starting to learn Wing Chun. Now, Bruce Lee only learned Wing Chun for maybe a year and a half, two years tops. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, was not a qualified instructor, which kind of upsets some of the JKD people, but it is what it is. Uh, and again, that has nothing to do with what Bruce Lee, how he developed himself later. Yeah. I believe Bruce Lee developed himself to a much higher level with the little Wing Chun that he had than many of these so-called Wing Chun people that learned the whole system. And once they learn the knives or the pole, they just go, well, I learned the whole system and they just kind of sit on it. They're not out there really training and testing and improving this stuff. They're just kind of sitting on their laurels. Right. And Bruce didn't do that. And so that's why I think that his development was a lot more... Uh, noticeable than many of these other authentic Wing Chun guys who just drink tea and talk shit about other people but don't actually <laughs> do the work. Uh, so, but obviously without Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee was, you know, for someone who ended up not being a Wing Chun instructor, creating his own style, but Bruce Lee ended up kind of being the biggest promoter of Wing Chun, whether directly or indirectly, that there ever was. I mean, yeah. you know, for all these people that talk shit about Bruce Lee or whatever, a lot of people, their entire interest in martial arts even outside of Wing Chun, is because of Bruce Lee. So I think the idea of, you know, even though he may not have been like the most qualified Wing Chun guy ever, um, but without Bruce Lee, I mean, you know, he really made our art internationally famous. As a matter of fact, that is one of the main points of contention among the other Kung Fu styles in Hong Kong, whether Hong Kun or Chai Lei Fat, uh, not to mention names, but like I have friends in Hong Kun and Chai Lei Fat and these other styles that are like, you know, I mean, I, I don't take offense when they say it because it is what it is, but they're, they're, they're kind of in the vein of like, um, yeah, well, you know, Wing Chun's just popular because of Bruce Lee. Yeah. Right? And, uh, well, I wouldn't say it's just popular because of that. Wing Chun is definitely unique in its application and its approach. Uh, but yet, yeah, I, I don't disagree with them. 
You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah, how can you pivotal moments in Hong Kong Wing Chun? Yeah, Bruce Lee starting to learn Wing Chun is probably one of them. And then the third one uh, I said was Yip Man passing away without designating any kind of line of succession. Yeah. Now I've discussed multiple times on the podcast. Uh, picking a successor or not picking a successor is uh, e- equally problematic both ways. If you, Yip Man taught for 22 years, and let's say he taught 500 students conservatively over that 22-year period. Yeah. Um, then he would presumably have a number of those students would be qualified to teach. So right. naming one person the successor is kind of weird because you're saying, well, are you now disqualifying the other people who are good enough to teach because now you have one successor? And then not, a, not appointing a successor then kind of left everyone to fend for themselves and make kind of outrageous claims yeah. post Yip Man's death. Mm-hmm. So um, Yip Man could have written something saying, I'm not going to appoint a successor. You know, a number of my students are qualified to teach, but neither one of them has authority over another one. Right. You know, had he just wrote something like that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, how much easier things would have been. Uh, but he didn't. He didn't do anything. All yeah. right? He didn't appoint a successor, and he appointed no successor, and he didn't even leave three lines written on a sheet of paper like, hey, guys, these, these 10 guys are pretty good. You can learn from them. Uh, no one is a successor in the style. You guys should go and develop it further. Yeah. Uh, get along with each other. Don't fight and peace out. And then he dies. All right. Right. But he did no such thing. He just and and Yip Man did not die suddenly. He knew he was dying. He was sick. Yeah. So he had time to think about it and time to do something. And I think uh, not to say that had he written something, everything would have just been kumbaya and rainbows post his death. Mm-hmm. But I think it would have it would have taken a little wind out of the sails of people who famously made very large claims about themselves and about their connection to Yip Man. Yes. And that's all I got to say about that. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius. Hit that bell for notifications. And if you have any questions you want me to answer on a future episode, go ahead and write them in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a kung fu genius Technique speaks for me, not lineage Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung And I produce masters You surpassed us, your kung fu stiffer than corpse and caskets City Wing Chung is the house I built Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt Alex Richter, always the victor